Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're in the same section, verses 40 through 47. In part two of a series we're calling the, A Church That Is Well. And remember, we're using the word well, W-E-L-L, to identify four characteristics of a healthy church. And we learned last time that the W stands for worshiping, the E stands for evangelizing, the first L is learning, and the second L is loving. And we're taking that, those letters in the biblical order, so we're not going to be able to really spell the word till the end, uh, as we allow the scriptures to guide us rather than the word. But notice with me in verse 40 of chapter 2, it says, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." So we're learning from the early church what made them strong, what made them healthy. Why? Because we want to be a strong, healthy church ourselves. How was it that this group of ordinary people with nothing but the Word of God surrendered to the Spirit of God were able to turn their world upside down? And we have to pause there and ask the question. And I'm asking it not not as a finger pointing at the church because we are the church, but we have to ask the question, what has happened to the church today? Well, why isn't the gathering of the saints, why isn't the church of Jesus Christ making the kind of impact that they did in the first century? We have to evaluate ourselves when we ask that question. What is wrong with us? What has happened to us? Where is it that we need to repent and get back to basics and surrender our lives to be used by God in these last days? I mean, you don't want to end your life and look back and go, you know, I was a pretty religious person, but my life really didn't make any kind of impact for the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons we're coming back to the book of Acts is so that we can reevaluate. Uh, The church doesn't need to be reinvented. It doesn't need to be restructured. We just need to reevaluate what our role is and how is it God is using us or not using us? What, what is it about our lives where we simply don't care about the lost? Or we don't care about the hurting? Or we don't care about the poor? What is it exactly? And as we ask those questions openly and honestly before God, He will answer them. For us individually, which is what we desire, but also for us as a church, as a local gathering, a part of the greater church, capital C. This church, this group of believers 
By the time we get to verse 42, there are 3,120 believers in the church. The church went from 120 to over 3,120 with one message, with one move of the Spirit, with, with one faithful man preaching the gospel from his mind, being faithful in the moment. And then we begin to watch through the unfolding of the book of Acts, the faithfulness of God through his people. And one of the things I hope to stir up in us as a church, that you have a desire to be used, that wherever that's lacking, that you're just open and ready to obey God at any moment. Like when you were a new believer, when you had that new believer zeal, where you would go anywhere and do anything, before you became really Bible smart, before you had habits with Christian language, before you were a regular attender in any church, you had a real personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus. You were born again and excited that your sins were forgiven, excited that God's doing a new thing. Many of us, we were super excited by the verse that said, we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And to keep that spiritual fervor alive all the way till the coming of the Lord that's one of the marks of the early church, not without problems. As we look back, we don't want to broad brush the early church like they were super perfect and they had it all together. Not at all. In just a few chapters, you're going to see conflict already in the early church. You're going to see people that are upset, people that are feeling neglected. You're going to look at conflict all the way through to the end in Revelation. Just 60 years later or so, 60, 70 years after the book of Acts, you have Jesus there writing those postcards in the book of Revelation. What is he doing? Correcting most of the churches in the various areas. It's like, man, what happened to you guys? This is what's required of you. Get your eyes back on me. I'm standing in the midst. I don't want to remove the lampstand. And you could read those for yourself. So we're learning four ingredients here, basically in, in Acts 2.42, but also in the broader section you want to be an Acts 2.42 type of church, and you want to be an Acts 2.42 believer. You, you want to have the new habit, it says in verse 42, continuing steadfastly. And we learned last time one point, we looked at the first L, that the early church was a learning church, a learning church. And I'm so grateful for Pastor Greg Laurie. He's the one I got this word from. Uh, he's the one that sparked this idea of using this acronym in order to teach through these attributes. And last week, we learned that we are a learning church. We are people of God's word. That, that is the emphasis in our church, in our teaching, in our pulpit ministry, everything through the church. We want to teach you the word. It'll transform your life. We get to the second point today, the second L, and that is what makes a healthy church? Number one, learning. Number two, loving. A church that impacts the world is a loving church, and we learn that right there after the second point, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship connotes, it, it leads to a, an understanding of love among the brothers, love among the sisters. Circle that word fellowship. It's a familiar Greek word that I'm sure many of you have already heard. It's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. You can spell it K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. That's the Greek word here. It's used many, many times throughout the New Testament to describe the relationship that believers have with each other in Christ. 
The word literally means to share in common. To share in common. When it's used in the Bible, it speaks of sharing in common in Christ. That's the key here. It speaks of a partnership. It also speaks of communion and even has an idea of generosity, a care and concern for one another. Uh, today, you have new phrases. You know, in each generation, they have new phrases trying to describe old biblical truths. And one of the phrases that you might hear as it relates to fellowship is the idea of sharing life together. That, that's a popular phrase today, doing life together in the church. That, that's koinonia. That's fellowship. To, to share life together in Christ. Here's the thing. I think we've mistaken fellowship over the years for just simply hanging out with each other. Hanging out with each other. Well, you know, Pastor Ed, we're Christians, and we're not partnering anymore. We're hanging out together. Well, that's good, hanging out together, but hanging out together isn't necessarily fellowship. It can be the beginning of fellowship, but just because you're hanging out doesn't mean you're in fellowship in Christ. I mean, people come together all the time. They, they come together for all kinds of reasons. You know, Christians come together for common causes and talk about them. They come together with common hobbies and talk about them. They come together and have common likes, talk. I mean, Christians will even come together for, for coffee together, you know, and share together in coffee. I mean, you know, if you're watching a Hallmark movie and coffee's involved, you know in 90 minutes somebody's getting married. <laughs> It's true. Just because you're having coffee together doesn't mean you're in fellowship. Fellowship always requires Jesus in the midst of it. You can talk about football as Christians, that's not fellowship. You can talk about your hobbies as Christians, that's not fellowship. You can share a cup of coffee together as Christians. You can talk about work, whatever you want. But unless the topic Unless the time centers on and surrounds Jesus Christ, you're not engaged in Christian fellowship. You're just two Christians hanging out. And again, it's good to hang out with Christians, but it's better to take that hangout and come together and talk about the things of God, to check in on each other. The minute we start talking about Jesus, that's koinonia. The minute we start ministering to one another, serving one another, praying for one another, as you'll see in a moment, that's koinonia. That's the richness that only the church can enjoy. Like the world can talk about coffee. The world could talk about hobbies. The world could talk about all the things that we, the, those outside of Christ can have all kinds of gatherings, just like you and me. But only the church can enjoy a richness of koinonia in the deepest sense. Not only a personal time, like temporary, this temporal life, but also for all of eternity. You know, in a conversation, when you're hanging out with other Christians, one of the ways to get the topic on Jesus, because, you know, it's awkward. Uh, whenever we start introducing these types of truths from the Bible, there's always that response. Yeah, but Ed, it's hard. And, oh, but Ed, it's awkward. But again, as I've been showing you and sharing with you, things are only awkward until they're not. So just do them. And as you continue to do them, they won't be so awkward anymore. So, so let's say you're together and, and you're prompted like, I really want really deep fellowship. I just want to be talking about stuff. I want to talk about the things of the Lord. You can enter into the conversation with a question like, what's the Lord doing in your life? What's the Lord doing in your life? And, and what have you been reading in the Bible lately? How was your devos this morning? 
How, how can I, you know how we use this as an entry into other people's lives? How can I pray for you? But you can do that with Christians too. You can look them in the eye and go, hey, how can I be praying for you? How's that situation? And then taking good little notes here, whether it's on your phone or somebody tells you something, and then set a reminder to follow up with them. Hey, we were talking about a month ago, and uh, how's that going? How's your mom doing? Uh, did your uncle get out of the hospital? And, and on and on the list goes as you then are taking the conversation and talking about the things of the Lord. Let me show you something. Turn back to Malachi chapter 3. This principle is even an Old Testament principle of sharing in common in God. And so Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, Malachi is going to be right before Matthew. And go to chapter 3. This is such a great verse. Maybe some of you already know it, but I want to introduce it to you. It's so cool to read this. In Malachi chapter 3, notice with me in verse 16. Malachi 3, verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. What a great Old Testament example of fellowship and the ingredients of fellowship. You got a couple people talking, the Lord is listening and hearing everything you say, and then he's even jotting it down in a book of remembrance of the time that you shared together in him and with him. Oh, that was so cool. He's listening and hearing. And back into the book of Acts, the powerful thing of the early church is they truly had a sense of being together in Christ. That was their motive, the reason why they were together. It, it was wherever they were doing it, whether it was house to house, which can speak of having people over to your house, but also the house churches in the early church that they would gather together in each other's houses because they have a large building. They hang out at the temple, but they'd also go house to house as we see later on in verse 46. They were breaking bread house to house. Fellowship, getting together, connecting with one another. In the early church, there was a richness in this koinonia, a desire and a deep spiritual connection. You know, today the word fellowship has become a verb where we're just like, well, let's go fellowshipping with one another. And it usually means having coffee, donuts, hanging out together. And it's true, fellowship is never done alone, right? We, we fellowship with each other, so coming together is the beginning but somebody in that relationship needs to take the conversation toward the Lord. Someone needs to be the spiritual person. The, someone needs to take whatever idle chatter and whatever, like, like even idle chatter, you know, even the simple things of life, you want to learn to take it unto the Lord. You, you want to learn how to take it to the Lord. You know, let, let's say you went to one of the local football games here and they experienced yet another loss. And so you're talking about it. You go, oh yeah, they lost. And you go, hey brother, can I comfort you with the Lord? Can I comfort you with the word? Did you spend your whole day in the freezing cold? And, and you just begin to talk about, like you can start anywhere. Like that's a connection with unbelievers, but it's a connection with believers too. It's to take whatever's on the topic, whatever's on the mind, and lead it to the presence of the Lord. Bringing Jesus into every conversation. Only Christians can do that. And you know, only Christians don't do that. Only Christians can, but it's only believers that don't. They just choose not to. 
and miss out on a very vital part of what makes you stronger in a world that's hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's never done alone. It's impossible to fellowship by ourselves. In order to grow as a Christian, it's essential we gather together and share in common the things of our great faith, both in a larger gathering like this and also in smaller gatherings. And I would even say in every gathering. Let me show you a great verse. Would you turn over now to the right, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Notice with me in verse 1, Galatians 6. I'm going to read it to you in the New King James, and I'm going to read it to you uh, from a version many years ago called the Living Bible. A brother paraphrased the Bible for his grandkids. He did a really good job on this verse. Notice with me in Galatians 6 verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Fellowship requires you to be in someone's life. In this one, in in verse one, in a very difficult situation, it really requires you to be right up in their life to help restore them back into fellowship, back into a right standing with the Lord. And you're gonna do it gently and you're gonna consider yourself. But then you learn you're also bearing one another's burdens. Here's the Living Bible's translation. He says, share each other's troubles and problems and so obey the Lord's command. I like that. Share each other's troubles and problems. That's an important part of Christian life. We are putting each other's lives to share We can share the highs, but we also share the lows. And isn't Christian fellowship such a sweet part of our lives when someone comes and helps us bear a heavy load, a heavy, heavy load? You know, at least when two people are bearing a heavy load, it's half the weight. It's half the weight. If you're taking notes, there's a couple things about fellowship you need to know. Number one, fellowship is protective. When you are in fellowship, when you are in koinonia with other believers in the church, even tonight, right now, in the moment now, you're in koinonia with a larger group through the teaching of God's word. When you're in koinonia, it protects you from sin. It protects you from sin. So much less sin happens during Bible study than after Bible study. You're just in a position where you're listening and you're ready and you're not out doing something and you're not, you know, temptation abounds in this room and the demonic warfare abounds in this room. There's all kinds of things happening, but so much less sin takes place during Bible study. Your mind is focused on the things of God. That's why when you are listening and tuning into Christian radio, having the word of God taught to you constantly, so much less sin takes place. Your mind is fixed on the Lord. But how much more when you're in fellowship with other believers? It protects you. Fellowship will protect you from burnout. It'll protect you from backsliding. It'll keep you accountable. Accountable. Now, I understand that accountability is truly between you and God. But when you have somebody in your face asking you hard questions, that's a good thing to have. You need somebody in your life that'll text you and go, hey, I know you've been struggling with this. How's it been going? I know this is a part of your past. How's it been going? Whether it's a text, an email, in your face. And I know, I can ask you the question. You can lie to me. 
You can say, oh, everything's fine. I haven't had a problem. You can lie to me, but that, that's, that, that's between you and the Lord, right? I mean, I don't like to be lied to, but that's between you and the Lord. But you could lie to me, but I'll tell you what, in the, even in that lie, you're exposing yourself to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will deal with you. The accountability is really with someone else, not, not with another person, but with someone else, the God of all the earth. He'll hold you accountable. He knows. But it's good to have somebody in your life checking in on you. Are you okay? Are you still hurting? Can I pray for you? Was yesterday hard? Like, like it's protective. Who's asking you the tough questions? And who are you asking the tough questions to? Because in relationship, we need to speak the truth in love. And it keeps us protected. It keeps us going forward. It, it keeps us strong in the things of God. Not only is fellowship protective, but secondly, koinonia is possible. Koinonia is possible. And let's just consider this in the light of the early church. They are 3,120 people at this moment. The church just exploded with people. And you think, well, I can't have fellowship with all those people. You're right. It's impossible to have fellowship with everyone. That's impossible. So if you set that as the goal, and I want to have fellowship with everybody in the local church I'm going to, whether it's small or large, it doesn't matter. It's impossible. It's impossible to have fellowship with everyone. Whether you're a church of 200 or a church of 3,000, it'll never be possible to have true koinonia with everyone. However, we will have fellowship with someone. Not everyone, but someone or a few someones. But that's really hard to do if, this, if your church experience is just religious to you and habitual for the sake of habit. Well, you know, because I got the kids, we got to be in church. Or, you know, this is how I was raised, so I'm going to continue to live how I was raised. Or it makes me feel good the rest of the week if I show up to, a, to an event or I come to a worship service. That, that, if you're not even looking for fellowship, you're not going to find it because you always find what you're looking for. You can't have fellowship with everyone, but you will and must have fellowship with someone. And in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there's a friend that sticks closer than the brothers. Friendship is always preceded, according to the Bible, friendship is always preceded by friendliness. <laughs> That's how it works. Where there is a friendliness about you, and in that friendliness, God then draws people. But then you also, every time we gather, you have an opportunity to greet people. And some of you just kind of just like, yeah, hey, 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 this is when this is over, so awkward, I don't want to meet anybody. But truly, it's an opportunity for you to be spiritually in tune to the people around you. In a larger church, one of the ways that you can, if you notice, the whole room is set up in sections. Did you ever notice that? The whole room is a very large room filled with over, you know, 1,400 chairs in this room, but there are little sections throughout the whole room. The whole room is broken down into sections. If you chose to sit in the same section for the same service for any length of time, you will see other people that choose to sit in the same section at the same service over a length of time. It will do you well to get to know those people, to pray for them, to learn their names, to jot that down, maybe even exchange phone numbers. Wow, you carry a phone with you everywhere you go. Exchange the phone number. And I already know people are going, wait a minute, Ed. What if they start spamming me and whatever they... 
And you're, you know what? You're not even there yet. Give the number out first and let's test it. Hey, here, I, I sit next to you in service. Let, let's go out for lunch one day. Or if you need anything, call me, text me. And if it becomes really weird and bad, let, let me give you, here's the next step. You ready? Block them. You can do that on your phone now. But you're so worried about what might happen that you don't even do anything to start it. It'll never happen if you don't open yourself and just say, hey, let's exchange names. And, you know, what is your name? And, and where's your wife? And do you have kids? And how long have you been walking with the Lord? Like, it's amazing when you start asking questions, you'll get to know people. You'll connect. And you'll have different layers and levels of relationships. Sometimes you get involved in a smaller group. I got a picture yesterday and an email from Matt. Let me know. I wasn't able to be here, but let me know about the men's breakfast in the morning. Uh, and what God is doing is the men get together and then you break in smaller groups and you connect. And, and you know, you're going to have different levels of relationships. Some are going to be deeper. Some are going to be less deep. But you will always be seeking it out. What made the church strong is when they were together, they cared about one another. That's the key. You share in common because you care with one another. And if you're uncomfortable with your phone number, give an email address. It's easier to control email at times where you can answer when you want and you can use it. But, but put yourself out there to serve each other. Think of others more highly than yourself. And there are always needs among us. There are always opportunities around us. It's whether we want to share our life with each other. And this is what made them strong, right? We gather together to be strong because we're going to scatter when we leave. We're not going to be together when we leave. We're going to go to work. Some of you are going to go home to a very difficult home. Some of you are going to have, you know, we, we scatter. So fellowship strengthens us for when we scatter. And when God, and we scatter on purpose. That's God's will for your life. Where you work, that's where God wants you. Where you live, that's where God wants you. Uh, every part of your life, God is ordained and is using for his glory on the earth. So when you scatter the fellowship, it makes you long to be back together. It makes you long to check in. It makes you long to connect in other places and other atmospheres. Now, they prayed together, it says, is the next thing. It's part of fellowship. They prayed together. It says that they continued in fellowship in verse 42, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So when you pray together, there's even a deeper koinonia. A strong church is a praying church. And that's a commitment we've made a few years ago to rearrange. There's been a lot of rearranging in our church over the years to continue to align ourselves with what God is teaching us in his word. And one of the rearrangements we made was on our midweek Bible study, reserving a time in our corporate worship to pray together. And prior to that decision, I would say our midweek Bible study, this room was maybe a half to three quarters full on Wednesday night. We announced praying together and the, the church emptied out on Wednesday nights. It emptied out, went to less than maybe a quarter for a long time. Why? Because people didn't want to pray together. Oh, it's uncomfortable and I don't know what to say. And I even had one email, I didn't, I didn't uh, look it up last night, but I even had one guy, uh, you know, it was a guy or a gal, I don't remember, email me and say, when you guys stop praying on Wednesday, I'll come back. Well, guess what? We're not going to stop praying, so I guess you're never coming back to this church. You'll have to find another church that doesn't pray. How about that? And unfortunately, that person will find it. 
praying is a key part of our life together. Praying for each other, praying with each other, praying as a church, praying and fasting, praying and not ceasing, like Jesus said in Luke 18. Praying. It's something that builds our relationship with each other. It strengthens us when we pray together, when we pray for each other. Even as we're training, there was a a long time of training to pray on Wednesdays. You know, when we first started praying together, the room was so loud. It was super loud. You want to know why? People were talking, not praying. Because there's a different volume when you're talking to each other and when you're praying. And so they had, they, we needed to learn. This isn't a time to get together. Hi, I'm, my name is so-and-so, and this is my whole week, and what's your whole week? And then before you know it, the time is up. It's like, no, give your name real quick, start praying. Start praying. And then when you continue to pray with each other regularly, you automatically catch up. You automatically know each other. And then we have up on the screen, we have somebody always leading us in per, per specific prayer points. But also, if you're done with the prayer points, you can just pray whatever you want. Pray for each other. If there's great pain in the group, pray for that person. But fellowship is deepened through prayer. What made the early church strong? They prayed. They prayed together from house to house. They prayed together in their gatherings, moment by moment. At least 30 times in the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned. And remember, I share with you at least 30 times the miraculous happens in the book of Acts, like super miraculous things. So God in his sovereignty, in his providence, in the book of Acts, he says, look, I know there's a dynamic work of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous, about 30 times in the book of Acts, but there's also the simple, powerful mention of prayer 30 times. You know, whole churches are built on the 30, uh, the 30 mentions of the miraculous, signs and wonders, But Jesus said to build his church, he said, my house is to be a house of prayer. And when we pray together, there's something sweet. We don't see it immediately. It takes time. We don't see it immediately, but God uses prayer. And as we fellowship and share together, God uses that in amazing ways. Another thing in fellowship you'll notice is that the early church shared things together. They shared things together. Is that what it says here in verse 44? All who believe were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Many misunderstand this passage and they read into the text the political philosophy of communism. This is far before communism and it has nothing to do with communism. This is not a political statement. This is a group of people that are so in love with Jesus that they're helping one another. That's all this is. And we find that as they sold their stuff and began to give it to one another, that it didn't work the way they thought. It was a mistake. It caused caused difficulty. And I don't want you to read into this like there were believers that sold everything that they had and gave it to another believer, and now they have nothing. And then that believer going, now I have all these things, so I'm going to sell what I have so I can give it back. No, it's not that at all. They had a heart to help one another. Most of the early church was abundantly poor. And so in their poverty, those that had more than those in poverty would share. And they, they said, well, I don't want anything anymore. But then over time, you learn through the book of Acts that they, they didn't have, they didn't repeat this because it caused a lot of problems. This isn't communism. 
It's better to refer to this by the word that's used in the English here in verse 44. This is commonism, where they had things in common. They saw a need and met a need. Today, you know what this has become? You see a need in the community, you tell them to call a church. Don't tell them to call a church. You meet the need. You're right there. The church is right in front of them. You don't give them the, hey, you know, our church can help. Yeah, our church can help. And guess what? The church is standing right in front of you. And that, that, that is so powerful as the church is meeting needs through the community. Now, you don't see that in the book of Acts. Oh, you know, call the apostles. They take care of you. No, you take care of them. You're the church. I'm the church. I see needs. You see needs. And as the Lord allows and gives us the resources, we share those needs and we share in common as a church. And so as you look at the value of koinonia, you need to reconsider where you are. Reconsider getting involved with a small group fellowship, men's women's, men's groups, women's groups. Give out your phone number, email address to the people you're greeting or serving. Maybe the Sunday school teacher. You can take your Sunday school teacher out and, and for a piece of pie just to thank them for instructing your kids. Or the, the, if you ask God, the ideas are endless how to love one another and serve one another in the body of Christ. Fellowship is something to emphasize, strive for, settle into, and continue steadfastly. Which leads us to the third point. And that is, not only was the early church a learning church and a loving church, but thirdly, they were also a worshiping church. A worshiping church. Notice in verse 46, it says, continuing daily with one accord, so there's unity in the spirit, one accord, in the temple. So they were in a large gathering in the temple, but also breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Notice verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They praised God regularly. They lived lives of gladness, which is what worship leads to, praising God, and simplicity or sincerity. It's interesting in the newest generation, right? They do all these surveys and they look, I don't know what they labeled this generation, generation X, Y, Z. I don't know what it is these days. So whatever the new generation is, you know what the new generation is craving for these days with all the fake videos on Instagram and all the fake stage videos on TikTok and all all the hype and and all the lack of delivery of substance. You know what the generation is is wanting today? Authenticity. Authenticity. They, They just want the truth. They want sincere authenticity. Who are the brokers? Who should be the number one brokers in the world of truth and authenticity? The church. The reality of truth. We worship Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Living simple, glad lives, praising God habitually continuing steadfastly learning God's word, loving God, loving each other, praying together, singing together. Authentic lives. It leads to authentic life outside of this room, not hypocrisy. We don't need to pretend to be anything here. As a matter of fact, we say don't pretend. Be yourself. Let the Holy Spirit, but be yourself in a way that's willing to change. Be yourself in a way that's willing to grow. When we come together, we do place a great emphasis in our services on singing, for sure. It's a part of Christian life that dates back. It's a part of every God follower from the beginning. 
Anyone that's following the true God, as we read in the Psalms today, we're singing. We're, all of creation worships God. And part of worship is singing. And that, at least that's identified here, praising God. It was evident in the watching world that the early church was in love with God, praising him. That's what they were known for. It was so different than all that was happening in the Roman Empire during that time. All the oppression, all the difficulty. There was a group of people that created this fear, it says. Fear came upon every soul, a healthy reverence. And part of that came from their worshipful hearts. I know when I, we gather together, just even as a church, the worship part is so important to me. It's so important to me because God ministers to me through song. He infuses joy, as Pastor Ian had shared. Joy, the Lord is our strength. And worship infuses joy in our lives that is expressed then through our worship of God. When we come together with other believers and begin to sing together, we begin to worship together, something happens supernaturally. When his people come together to honor his name, to yield their lives, there is nothing like it anywhere on the earth except for those little worship sessions you have yourself with your earbuds in or your, phone, your radio turned up in your car or your phone connected and you're listening to those songs that edify you but bring out a worshipful heart in you. Voices and hands raised, men, women, and children. It is something else. We need, we need to be together singing. And here's what happens. You know, people go like, oh, you know, I can't sing. You know, I'd love to sing, but you don't know my voice. Now, I probably know your voice. I've sat by you. I got it. I know your voice. It, don't worry about your voice. It doesn't matter. Just sing. Yeah, but you know, I don't have much melody. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in, and I'm sure this happened to you, where, man, I don't, I'm, not pretty, I'm not filled with joy on my drive from, the, from my house here. It's been a hard week, a hard day, hard email, hard phone call, hard life, grief, whatever it is. And, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm here. I want to be here, but I kind of don't want to be here. But I am the pastor, and I should be here. So I'm coming on the way, and I'm just all bummed out, and I'm bummed out through it all. And people are going, oh, Ed, you're so bummed out. Yeah, I am. You don't need it to remind me. I know. I'm bummed out. You should be praying for me instead. But then as soon as we sit there, and the first note of the song, even if I don't want to sing it. I got people singing all around me, ministering to me. You didn't come here to minister to me, but you are. It's part of being together. How many others are you ministering to when you're just simple worship to God? Your simple surrender. You singing off key. You, you humming. You, you, you know, screaming at the top of your lungs. Whatever it might be, however God has you in expressing your worship, it makes you stronger for when you leave. It makes you stronger. That's why on our social media, on Instagram, they post the set list. Pastor Ian has his Spotify list that you can download and you can listen to songs. You gotta download our app so you stay connected. Stay connected with what's going on in the Calvary Connect so you can get these songs and learn these songs because eventually, eventually you'll learn the songs. You won't need the words anymore. You can close your eyes and worship because you know the words. And it doesn't matter, even if you don't know the words, you can make them up like all the other songs that you sing. It doesn't matter. Make up words. It's unto the Lord. When a church doesn't sing together, when a church isn't worshipful, then we take all that misery out into the world, and the world is filled with misery. 
we are the ones that are filled with hope. And hope gets rekindled as we gather together. That's what makes the church strong. There's so many things happening in this particular church that makes us strong and stronger. But there are also decisions being made that weakens the church. And so we want to always reevaluate ourselves from God's word. The Christian faith is a singing faith. Other religions don't sing with joy inexpressible. They might chant, they might groan, they might moan, but there's no faith on earth that's so full of vibrant, joyful singing like followers of Jesus. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's even a special song in Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, you can read it later today, that seems to be a song reserved for the church. Heaven, the eternal existence, will be filled with singing. So we better learn to start now. It's not about your voice. You know, again, oh, I don't have a good voice, Ed, you know, but so did a million people trying out for American Idol and they still sang. They didn't care. Like, it's just like, get out of ourselves and let's get our eyes back on the Lord so that we gain our strength together and we become an impactful church, a church that is making a difference and we're not even trying we're just living. We're not trying. We're not, okay, let's get this program and let's set this up. You know, we got to have a new ministry. No, no, no. As you abide in Christ and you're just living your life in him, continuing steadfastly in learning, continuing steadfastly in loving, continuing steadfastly in fellowship, in prayers, this is how the church makes a difference. Wherever you are, in the temple, in the larger gathering, and house to house. By the way, the breaking of bread, it can mean two different things here in this text. The breaking of bread could refer to a meal that the early church shared. Uh, the closest thing that we could have today is, is like a potluck meal, where you would come together, you would share food. We see that all throughout the early church, so much so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, remember the Corinthians messed it all up. And they needed to be corrected on, hey, you guys are coming together. You're eating before others. You're pushing people out of the way. You're even mishandling communion, he says. And so it could refer to this love feast or what could be called an agape feast. But breaking bread also could refer to communion, where you're breaking bread together in remembrance of the Lord's body and you're taking of the cup to remember the blood. And often it would be done together just like Jesus did at the last Passover meal. They would share a meal together, and then he took the bread from the meal and used it as a symbol of his body, and he took the cup of wine from the meal and used it as a symbol of his blood. It, they often go together and can go together. And so the early church was strong. They were vibrant. And the difference they made in the world was simply because they lived in an abiding relationship with Jesus. So Father, we ask that you would minister to us as we prepare our hearts for the communion table, as we ourselves break bread, or this wafer uh, that will be representative of the bread that was broken, and the juice representative of the blood that was shed. And so we ask, God, that you would make things come clear and alive to us as we share this last time together as a large church family, the elements of communion in remembering you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.